Good morning. My name is Eli. I'm a member here at the church, and it's my joy to bring to you and to us God's word today. As uh, Pastor Marwan mentioned, today we end our series in the Psalms of Ascents, looking together on Psalm 133. But before that, there's a story, unreal story, about a vision of a man who saw heaven and hell. So in hell, he saw people sitting on a long table with delicious food, but they were starving. No one was able to eat because they had long spoons. And the same table he saw in heaven with delicious food, but the people there were satisfied and rejoicing because even though they had the same long spoons, they were feeding one another. Division is one word that describes the fallen people in this fallen world, where unity is the one word that describes the people of God, the church, in this fallen world. If we want to describe our world and the human history since the beginning till now, the one word that we can all agree on is divided. We live in a divided world. Since Adam and Eve fell in sin, their children, Cain, killed Abel. Jacob and Esau, they were fighting in the womb. And directly after that, nations were raging war against each other for dominion, authority, and resources. So the world, the world we live in is a divided world. Even Israel, the nation that God has chosen, got divided to the northern and the southern kingdom. This is our human history. Division is dominant over our human history. And unity is not common. It's not familiar, it's not dominant in this world. In fact, it's impossible to achieve unity apart from Christ because of our sin. This is what James says in his letter, chapter four. He says, all these wars and fights are because of our sinful passions and desires that rage within us. But, unlike this world and the division that is dominant in, the, in this world, our psalm today speaks of unity. Our sermon title, as you've seen in the bulletin, The Beauty of Unity. It's like a jewel in ashes, between ashes. There's unity in this world, in the church, though this world is a divided world, and God alone gives unity to his people. So I pray that the word today will bring joy, encouragement, and refresh our hearts as we will consider and look on our unity, the unity that we have in a world that is divided. Psalm 133 speaks of the unity of the worshiping community. So let us read this psalm together. A song of ascents of David. How delightfully good when brothers live together in harmony. It is like fine oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard onto his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion, 
for there the Lord has appointed the blessing, life forevermore. Our psalm is very short but direct, and even the structure is easy to observe. David is pondering on unity, saying from the beginning, behold, pay attention, how delightfully good when brothers live together in harmony. Other translations, ESV and NASB, says how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, in harmony. Then David gives us two illustrations to see this goodness, to see the beauty of this unity between the brothers who dwell in unity. This is why what we can learn today from our psalm is unity in the local church is a special gift from God to be known, embraced, and preserved. I'm going to say it again. Unity in the local church is a precious gift from God to be known, embraced, and preserved. And I want to look with you to three points this morning. The basis of our unity, the beauty of our unity, and preserving our unity. But before looking on this beauty, on, the, on how delightful it is, this unity between the brothers, and before looking on how to preserve this unity, we need to make sure that we have the same biblical basis for unity, the same foundation. So our, our first point is the basis of our unity. We can find this in verse 1. David says, how delightfully good when brothers live together in harmony. There are three key words that will help us to understand how we as a local church today are related to the people mentioned in the psalm. And these words are brothers together harmony. Brothers together and harmony. During their journey to Jerusalem, pilgrims enjoyed a universal experience. Where, through, where though they came from different walks of life, different regions and different tribes, they were brothers having one father, according to their faith, Abraham. They gathered together for one purpose, united to worship the Lord in Jerusalem. And is it, isn't is this similar to us today? Coming from different walks of life, different countries, maybe even different religions, but brothers and sisters in Christ, having the same Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, coming together as a church for one purpose, to worship our Lord and Savior. So this psalm speaks to us as a church also today. Dr. Barak, in his notes on this psalm, says, Pilgrims faced not only the potential disharmony within individual families, but the tensions of getting along with others in competition for the same resources for lodging, food, and water as they were going to Jerusalem. In addition, there may have been conflicts and competition between the tribes that could disrupt the peace of a pilgrim encampment after days of weary travel. And so... They were singing and reminding themselves of the blessing, pleasures, and goodness of the unity that they have. 
unity between worshipers. This is how they sang the psalm, and this is how they understood the psalm, and this is how we are to understand the psalm for us today. Unity between worshipers. Unity between Christians. Unity between true believers in the local church. And what united those worshipers unites us today. As a nation, the Jews considered themselves united in Abraham, as they are his descendants. But those of them who were truly united to God were those who believed in the one who is superior to Abraham, to the one who was before Abraham, who justified Abraham, who Abraham looked to for his own salvation. And so we are, so are we. We look to our Lord Jesus Christ in the same way that those who are saved between them look on him. We are not only united together as a local church, but we can also join ourselves to those worshipers in the psalm because it's written in Ephesians 2, 2, 18, for through him, through Christ, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the fathers, to, to the Father. Ephesians 3, 6 the Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In the gospel, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because all those who call upon the Lord will be saved. Today, I'm, I'm focusing a lot in addition to the psalm on the letter of Ephesians, because Paul speaks a lot about this topic of unity in his letter to the church in Ephesians. And in Ephesians 4, 4 to 6, that our sister Jessica has read, Paul gives us a description, seven elements that this unity is founded on. Let us read again verses 4 to 6. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Paul is saying that unity already exists for there is one united body whose members are regenerated and indwelled with one spirit, whose members are waiting for one hope, the return of Christ, who serve one Lord, who embrace one faith, who agree at least on the essentials of faith, on the major doctrines, because we know godly men can disagree on minor doctrines, on minor doctrines in scripture. But we have to agree on major teachings who embrace one faith, who were baptized one baptism, referring to our act of water baptism, and who believe in one God and Father of all. This is the basis of our unity. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. 
This morning, if you forgot all the sermon, I need you and I want you not to forget this thing that I want to say now. Unity is not something that the church achieves. Unity is not something that the church achieves. Rather, it's a precious gift from God already exists among all true believers in Jesus Christ. But the local church is called to preserve this unity, to keep this unity. It's not something that we have to achieve, to obtain, but something that we are called to keep. So brothers and sisters, if we are redeemed, truly saved, we are already one body united in Christ. And maybe this is an encouragement for some of you this morning who are considering membership or think about membership. As a believer in Christ, you are already united to the body, but you have to practically unite yourself, commit yourself to the church, unite yourselves to your brothers and sisters in Christ to serve one another, encourage one another, and walk with one another in this life to glorify God. So I want to encourage you. I don't know if there is an upcoming membership class, but if you are considering to join a church, first seek a church that exalts Christ, that is faithful to the gospel, that takes the Bible as the ultimate authority for life and ministry. And CBC is one of these churches. Thank God for that. So maybe this is an encouragement to you this morning. But, but before we end this point, the basis of our unity, and before looking at the beauty of the, this unity, I, I also need to warn you about something. There's something that I've heard years ago and I still hear today, especially on social media, calls to, to unite the church universally. Calls to unite the church universally, but without any concern to sound doctrine. It is only a call to unite the church under the label of love without giving any attention, any concern to sound doctrine. The church is already united. The church doesn't need to be united. We are already united and we express that and we see that in the local church that is in the local community. And this call is not new. It was even, it was there on Spurgeon's days and Spurgeon addressed this issue and said, what they are saying, Christians of all doctrinal shades and beliefs must come together in one visible organization, regardless, unite, unite. And then Spurgeon says, such teaching is false, reckless, and dangerous. Truth alone must determine our alignments. Truth comes before unity. Unity without truth is hazardous. End quote. I just needed to say this because when we consider unity, we might go there, but we have to be careful to unite on one basis, one foundation, one body, one spirit, one faith, one Lord, one hope, one calling, one Father of all, and one gospel. Unity in the local church is a special gift from God. He has given to us, but we have to know this. And because of the beauty of this unity, we are to embrace it. 
So we move to our point two, the beauty of our unity. And most of the psalm speaks of this beauty. He says how delightfully good when brothers live together in harmony. In the other translations that I mentioned, how good and how pleasant, meaning that it is good, it is righteous, it is morally good, and it is the same word used in creation when God created this world and saw that it was good. And not only good, it was pleasant. It is, sorry, unity, it is pleasant. It is lovely. It is sweet. It is attractive. It is charming. It is delightful when brothers live together in unity and in harmony. And David gives us two illustrations for that. Usually, as in preparing a sermon, I have to confess the, the, the first hard thing is to achieve the right and faithful interpretation of the text. So you do your study to make sure that you are interpreting the text correctly. But the second hardest thing, and I think preachers agree, is finding the perfect illustration for your points. And many times we fail in that. But here, David is giving two illustrations inspired by the Holy Spirit that perfectly match this unity that we have to describe its beauty. And they are the oil, the fine oil, and the dew of Mount Hermon. Let us start with the first one. But before that, both of them are said that they are falling down, that they are running down. So is unity. It's a gift running down, coming from above to the people of God, to his church. First, it is like fine oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard onto his robes. This relate to the, relates to the fine oil that was prepared for the use in the tabernacle. It was a special fragrant oil made of the finest spices whose recipe was not to be imitated. Though God has given this recipe to, to Moses, but no one was to imitate this recipe and use it for any other purpose. It was used only for the consecration of the tent of the meeting and to anoint the high priest and the priests who are associated with the priestly service. In Exodus 30:25, the Lord said to Moses, it will be holy anointing oil. And we have many things to learn from this illustrations, but I think three are related to unity. Three apply to the beauty of our unity. First, it's a fine oil. ESV says it's a precious oil. It's sacred, holy, and so is unity. Unity that God has given to his people is precious, is sacred, and is holy. It is special. Also, unity is fragrant. It smells good. You can smell it. The fragrance of this special oil couldn't be contained, especially if you read the recipe. John Piper says, unity is the church's perfume. It is the perfume 
of the church. It is good and pleasant when the church smells good. Not talking about hygiene, we're talking about unity. And when a church smells good, be sure that there is unity. There is unity. Lastly, according to this illustration, unity is abundant, is rich. God has richly blessed his church with this gift of unity. The picture has Moses taking this fine oil and pouring it on the head of the high priest, on Aaron. And because he was not pouring few drops, he was pouring it abundantly. The fine oil was going from the head to the beard onto his robes. And so is unity. God has blessed his church with unity that is precious, fragrant gift with abundance. The second illustration, it is like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion. The first thing I, I, I remembered when I read this verse, mountain dew. So that's not what, what we're talking about. It is the dew of Mount Hermon. I don't know if the founder of Mount Dew has that and had that in mind, but it is the dew of Hermon, Mount Hermon, falling on the mountains of Zion. Mount Hermon was the highest mountain in Israel. And let me check the distance. 120 miles to the south was Mount Zion. So Mount Hermon was known for its snow and heavy rain that will come upon it. And so the dew that comes from Mount Hermon would do a kind of irrigation to dry and thirsty Mount Zion. And it is said that summer crops depended upon the dew for reaching maturity and harvestability, where the absence of dew destroys a crop. So dew of Mount Hermon provided and supported life to Mount Zion. Unity gives and supports life to the church. When there is division, the church seems to be dead. But where there is unity, the church is alive. This is why David continues and says, for there the Lord has appointed the blessing, life forevermore. One preacher said, to see a church at peace is an oasis in the desert. And to see a church at, at peace, definitely that, peace, that church is united. So members of a church who, who are united can enjoy, we can say, heaven on earth in their dwelling together. For true unity is a foretaste of heaven itself. The basis for unity, the beauty of our unity, and I want to call you this morning, and the Lord calls us this morning to preserve this unity. I confess to you that preserving this unity is not a point from the psalm. But thinking of unity as a precious gift, we need to preserve it. We need to protect it and to keep it. It is just like when you bring a precious gift to someone you love right? You expect them to keep it, to preserve it. 
You do not expect them to purchase it or to pay the price of the gift. You already purchased it. You do not, you do not expect them to order it or to wait for it. You have already brought it. But you expect them to preserve it, to protect it, to keep it in a good shape. If this is what we would expect from one another, that's what God expects from us for his gift, unity. In our first point, the basis of unity, we looked on Ephesians 4, 4 to 6, and we saw how this unity is freely given to us. But in the previous verses, also that our sister Jessica has read, verses 1 to 3, Paul gives us a recipe to preserve this unity. So let us read it together. Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. How? With all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Also, Paul in his letter to the Philippians 1.27 says, Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Also in chapter 2, verses 2 to 4, he says, Make my joy complete by, think by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Lastly, Colossians 3.14. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Brothers and sisters, these verses do not need any explanation. They only need application. This is how we can preserve our unity. Edmund Burke said, whatever disunites man from God also disunites man from man. So we are to make every effort to keep the unity that God has gifted to us. We all may know or, 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 or familiar with the picture that God gives us as husbands how to love our wives. So we are called to love our wives in a way that Christ loved his church and gave, gave himself to her. But let me tell you that this command is not only to husbands, to wives, to their wives. This command in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 is repeated in the same way to the church. Let us read it together. Therefore, 
Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. Not only husbands, not only wives, but all brothers and sisters in Christ to preserve our unity. I want to share with you, finally, a story, a story that I heard maybe more than 10 years ago, and I cannot forget this story. It's a story that a pastor shared. It was in the early years of my faith. And he was talking about a couple, a husband and a wife in his church, who were members for a while. But after some years, the wife started to act in a strange way toward others. She became mean, speaks harshly, and sometimes shows anger towards the people at the church. So the pastor decided to speak with the husband. And he went to the husband and said to him, and the husband, he said, he mentioned the pastor, he said the husband was a very simple man. So the pastor didn't have any hopes in that conversation. But he said, I should speak about this issue. And he said to the man, brother, do you notice that your wife has been acting weird, speaking harshly with others, becoming annoying whenever she's around? And he was sorry to say that, but he had to describe the situation. The husband replied, replied with, yes, I can see that. The pastor was shocked. He said to him, but I see you supporting her and defending her. And what the pastor didn't know was that she was having a mental breakdown. And so the man replied, pastor, this woman comes from a wealthier family than me. She's more educated than me. She's smarter than me, but she loved me. And she was a faithful wife and raised the best children. And now, as she is falling, I will stay beside her. I will love her and I will defend her no matter what. So tears filled the pastor's eyes. And he saw this man as the noblest of all. Friends, if this man was able to love his wife in this way, we are enabled to love one another even better. When my brother sins against me, I am owed to continually forgive him. Not because he is kind to me or he is showing love to me, but because Christ loved me and was kind to me and continually forgives me when I fall in sin again and again and again. Imagine how good and pleasant it is to have a church where the members treat one another in this way. This church will be a good church to dwell in. And those who belong to it will enjoy her sweet perfume. It will be beautiful and special in a divided world. Members will live in peace and prosper, and they will glorify God. If you remember the story I started with, the vision of heaven, we are to live it here on earth. 
we are to serve one another in the same way because we are all united in Christ. Let us end with the prayer of Jesus for this unity. Jesus, in his intercessory prayer, prayed for our unity. Let us read it together in John 17, 20 to 23. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word, through the word and the preaching of the disciples. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me, so that they may be made, made completely one. That the world may know you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus prayed this prayer for his church. And let me assure you, this is an answered prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in this morning, we want to thank you for this precious gift of unity that we are not called to obtain or deserve or to achieve, but to enjoy and to preserve. So, Lord, we pray that as members here at the church, that we would be spreading a spirit of unity by serving one another, loving one another, forgiving one another, and encouraging one another. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.